You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica. Episode 32. I'm Jessica Pearson, Certified Body Image and Weight Loss Coach. And I'm Beth Barnett-Babel, Integrative Nutrition Therapist. Today, we have a super special guest. This is Life Coach and MD, Latifat Akintade. Did I say your last name right? Yes, you did. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thank so, you for having me. Yeah, we're so happy you're here. Let me give you a little bit of an introduction. Then, of course, I want you to introduce yourself. But she is Life Coach and MD. She helps women physicians achieve their money goals while practicing medicine on their terms, which is so cool. She's also the host of Money Fit Podcast. Now, you might be wondering, <laughs> what does this person have to do with breaking free from diet culture or weight loss? And I'm just going to ask you guys to be a little patient with us and to hold on tight because there are going to be many gems in this conversation. And the story that I've asked her to share with you today is something I personally witnessed in real time. And it was powerful for me. I had goosebumps. My jaw was dropped. And it absolutely relates to what our listeners go through in relation to hiding our bodies and hiding from our dreams. All humans experience this, you know, time to time. So welcome, Latifa. Thank you very much. I'm so, so glad to be here. I'm really excited guys talking about nutrition and body image and, you know, money and all this stuff are really closely related. You know, when people are hiding from their money, they go find food. So now they can't hide anywhere because we're both here together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, a lot of times we talk about like, how does your relationship with food mirror your relationship in life, right? So if we're having these experiences in one area of life, oftentimes it can be mirrored in other areas of our life, right? So sometimes people hide across the board. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people tell me like, I have everything together except for this one place, which may or may not be a lie. (laughs) Since I don't ask them about the money, it's very rare that I dive into finances with clients. But I do like to put things in terms of money sometimes because it helps them see like, oh, like if you were doing this, you're doing this action with food. If I re-explain it with money, then it like makes sense because it's a totally different concept, right? I've never heard you explain. That must be a new analogy that you have since we stopped seeing clients at the same time. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, I want to hear it in the future. I know. If I I can think of an example, I'll bring it up. But I'm like, I know I've done it in like the last few weeks quite a a bit, but I I can't give you an example right now. So I do want to dive kind of right in by asking you to kind of share the story, especially because I haven't heard your end of it, right? So it's like what you experienced and what I experienced could be two totally different things, which will be interesting. And I just want to set it up a teeny bit for the audience without totally giving it away. But you and I were both at a life coach conference here in Austin. And actually, this is our first time meeting everybody face to face. We have messaged each other on Instagram, but I did not know her. Okay. So during this conference, there were actually a few award ceremonies, which I personally found very inspiring. And I found it impactful to see so many people and different kinds of people being honored. And it was, you know, I was just also thinking like, wow, if all these people can do this, then I totally can too, which is why it was inspiring to me. Now, like at the end of the conference, I find myself in a room, it's an affinity meeting, which is groups of various minorities, which is relevant to the story, I think, from my perspective. The school had set up this private event, which was basically a platform to share and to be heard and to be coached. And I thought it was amazing. 
Now, the people on the stage were the CEO of the school that we attended, Erica Royal, who was amazing. I love to hear her stories so much. Brooke Castillo, of course, the one and only. Trudy LeBron, who has introduced you, who I thought was also amazing. And then I have her book. Am I missing anybody who else was there? No, those were the three people on stage. They wanted to hear thoughts from everyone in the room who's willing to share. And I'm just going to like let you take it from here because you got up to share. Yeah, it was really an interesting experience. And I had zero intentions of sharing because I necessarily don't like to share. I'm an observer. I do my own thing. I'm so used to being in settings where I'm not the majority. And so I just sit back, listen, get what I can and go create my own magic with it. That's how I wrote, right? You blend in, you feed in. When you're like the only black person in a class of 200 people at UCLA, you already stand out. You don't want to stand out even more, right? So those were my own baggage for like that's the my own experience right so I'm sitting down there in this group of amazing men and women super accomplished amazing hearts to heal the world literally and I was really inspired by Erica and the fact that she was there she brought her kids her kids actually danced on the that street. was the best <laughs> my jaw was dropped the whole time I was like wow this is amazing yeah her kids you know did a dance routine and all that and I was sitting down, listening to them and thinking how amazing it is that sometimes we're intentional about how we want to be examples, but we are not necessarily cognizant of the fact that there are unconscious things that we do that becomes an unconscious seed that plants in someone else's life. So at that moment for me, it was her bringing her kids because maybe it was fun for them to be involved in what mom was doing and it was the greatest honor of her life, blah, blah, blah. And that happening was just an example of how it is completely okay to integrate your kids into your life as you succeed in a way that maybe even be visible. Wow. So I was there thinking how amazing it is that she doesn't even know how impactful her just doing her own thing was to me. And I was convicted at that moment because here I am sitting down. I just finished my first year of owning a life coach in the training business or money school for women physicians. I'd, you know, helped a lot of people. I have my podcast, Money Fit Empty, doing a lot of things that like inspires me and gives to the world, including making six figures in my first year of business. And I was hiding it because I didn't think it was important to share. And I got convicted because there are people always looking around for an example of normal human beings doing maybe crazy stuff. (laughs) Normal human beings with normal body size being aware of their body, right? Mm -hmm. Normal human beings of various body sizes, like doing amazing things. And we hide our amazingness because of our own brain drama when in fact, what we need is to just be out there, be normal and let that be an inspiration for other people. So I was so convicted, not in a negative way, but in a, oh, Latifah, come on. And that's why I got up to share. And I had no plans of crying, but I literally... Can I pause real quick? Yes. So there's one little thing that I think everybody needs to know. I know the story because I've heard Jessica say it. So what the award was is they get up at the Life Coach School and they recognize everyone that has made 100000 or more. And then there's like different tiers to this. And so that's what was the award. So anyways, I just want to let fill, help fill in the gap for everybody <laughs> listening and what the award was. Okay, go ahead. Yes, absolutely. 
absolutely. And the thing is this, I was proud of the award, right? And for me, as a money coach, money is important. And I think in this world, a lot of humans, a lot of people that are socialized as women have been told that we can focus on doing good. Don't worry about the money. And a lot of the women that I work with and speak through on my platform are women with amazing hearts that I've believed that. So they're like, well, I don't have to get paid. At least I'm doing good. So a lot of times on my platform, I'm like, we can do good and make money. We can do good and make money. But ultimately, money is part of the thank you we're getting for the change we're creating in the world. But it's not necessarily what I'm focusing on, what I'm thinking of, how I'm impacting. So me not submitting for that award wasn't because I wasn't proud of it, but it was because I did not need anybody to give me a high five for the work that I was doing. I'm like, I don't need recognition for that. Like my value, the thank you that I get is the incredible joy that I have in my heart when I've helped the women. When I know how it's impacting them, how it's impacting how they practice medicine, how it helps improve their wellness. Unfortunately, suicide is a big thing in the physician community, unfortunately. And I believe that money as a tool for wellness can actually help us with those sort of things as well. So my passion is like crazy high. So I don't need anybody telling me thank you or recognizing me with a freaking little award that I can buy for myself if I really want. (laughs) So my not applying for the award wasn't because it was from a place that I thought was a good place of keeping myself in check. I don't want external validation. So like in a way you're like, I am so solid and self-confident. I don't need this. And but yet you didn't realize. Do you think it was hiding now looking back? So I didn't need it, but I'm also very conscious of being intentional, of never being in a place where I'm doing for external validation. So I didn't need it, but it's also my own goal in life to continue to stay grounded by not waiting for anybody to tell me that post was amazing. That podcast was great. You did a great job. Like I am a recovering people pleaser. Yes. So that's why I did not apply for the award. But I forgot the fact that my story is not only for me. My story is not only for me and whatever it is you're doing, your story is not only for you right? My story is to do the good that I want to do in this world. And at the same time, there are humans that look like me that has never seen a woman that is practicing medicine or whatever full-time job they're doing and has this business on the side that they literally do one day a week and they're successful. Like you can have your cake and eat it too. And so I lost sight or I wasn't completely aware of that. or I wasn't intentional about the fact that again, our unconscious actions can be the biggest stories that we tell with our lives. And so I forgot that. And in a sense, there was also a little bit of hiding too. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stay stand out in that way. I'm here to get the things, the tools that my people need so I can go out there and impact. That has been the story of my life. I go into places, acquire the tools so I can be a bridge to the people that I want to serve. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was it playing out in that same way. But I was so grateful that I was in that room. I was so grateful that I got that unplanned, unintended lesson. And I was in line making a mess, like crying, like something like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it was so good, though. So, yeah. So you so you felt convicted by watching Erica and seeing her kids dance. That was on day one, though. So it took you all the way through two days. 
to get up to say something. Yeah, because I did not even realize it until that moment. Tell them, the people who did not get to witness that in the room, exactly what happened. Let's see how well my memory works. So I literally, I just, you know, decided that I was going to grab the mic, which is something that I don't always do. Again, I like to relax, sit and observe and learn and carry go. That's my motto. That's what I do, right? Don't stare at the water too much. Do good in your own community. Do good with your people. But the people here, they don't really want the water really like messed up, right? They don't want to change. And that's okay if that's what they want. But you cannot spend your energy fighting that every single moment. But you can get the tools and go spend your energy actually creating change. But that day I decided to grab the mic and stand up, which was a big thing for me. And the reason why I say it's a big thing for me is I'm not an underachiever. I'm someone that has achieved a lot and I'm grateful for the stuff that I've achieved. And in fact, when I posted this in our private physician life coach school training group, they were like, if you've achieved all this while hiding, we are afraid. (laughs) (laughs) We are afraid of what you're going to create. And I said, I am afraid too. Because I'm barely scratched the surface. The reason why I say that is it's really easy for people to hide when they're successful in a way, right? And it goes back to that whole idea of like capacity. What is your capacity? Our capacities are different, right? For me, maybe working 10 hours a week is a stretch for me. For you, it may barely be scratching the surface. So it's easy for me to hide because I have achieved things by people's definition, but I still have underachieved because I know there's so much more without burnout, without grinding, without hustling that I can create. So I decided to take the mic, which for me, that was already a change. That was an evolution. That by itself was an action that was different for me. So I took the mic, I stood there. And when I was in line, there were many times when I said, it's not even important for you to share. It's not just, you don't need to share. Like there's time limitations. There are people that probably really want coaching because, you know, they're like fan crazy and can't wait to talk to Brooke and you're not impressed by people. So just go sit down. Like, what do you, I mean, it's what our brains do, right? As soon as we take an action that's different, then our brain is like, ooh, that's different. We got to figure out a way out of this. Yeah. And it justifies it in a language that is natural to you. Mm -hmm. So it didn't tell me, go sit down because you're not deserving. It didn't say, go sit down because you're not important. It said, go sit down because you don't need their validation. You don't need to talk to them. They don't need to know you for you to accomplish amazing things. And those are things that I believe. Those are things that are my norm. The work of I'm a recovering people pleaser. Now we're internalizing our own high five, not externalizing it. So it would have made a lot of sense. I thought about that so many times in line. And the reason why I'm sharing this is there are going to be people listening to your podcast that their brains are telling them the reason why. And they believe it because maybe it's a result of the work that we're already doing. Like, how dare you ask for a promotion? You don't really, I mean, you're, you have a job you like, right? How dare you ask for like increased salary? You like the position, don't you? You should be happy. You remember your phone former job sucked. You hated your former job. Now at least you love this. We don't need to ask for more. And you're like, yeah, at least I'm happy. My happiness is priceless. And we don't negotiate what we should be getting paid. We forget that it's not an or, it's an and. Which we talk about with food all the time. (laughs) (laughs) 
right? It's an and. It's an and. It's not an or. So I decided to be stubborn. And I was like, well, I'm telling myself I need to grab the mic, let's see fat. So just stand there and whatever comes out, if you blabber, if you blah, 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 just stand there. You're already there. And my seat was like pretty far from where I was standing with the mic. So I'm like, no, let's not do that. And it was almost my turn and they were going to stop. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I remember that. They're like, should we keep going? Should we not keep going? I was like, please, I've never taken the mic. Don't stop now. Like, this is my my evolution. This is a moment that's going to spark change for me. So fortunately, they said they wanted to have one more or two more people. So I was able to share. And at that moment, I just thanked Erica for who she was. I thanked her for what she represented. I thanked her for the unconscious message she had sent. And I had to apologize to the room because these are, again, women of color. If you look at data, we're more likely to be underpaid. We're less likely to be promoted. We're less likely to be in positions of leadership. We're more likely to be volunteered for unpaid positions that involves like, oh, yeah, go volunteer here, right? And all that stuff. As moms, as humans, as women, we're less likely to be compensated. There's a huge wealth gap. There's a huge disparity in wealth and also in position. And not that we're not capable. In fact, based on data, women physicians get paid less than our male counterparts. And based on data, we actually create more impact, which is interesting. So I, at that moment, felt like I needed to completely accept the evolution of my assignment. And the evolution of my assignment at that moment was to be an example to women that felt like they had to look a certain way They had to speak a certain way. They had to be a full-time coach, right? They have to hate their job. I love my main job. I love being a physician. It's a privilege of my life to help patients the way that I get to every day. I don't hate my work. I don't. And I get to also love the women that I get to serve in my money program and help women live their own best lives. Because I truly believe that when we live our best lives, we're able to impact the world, right? We are able to be ourselves. And I truly believe that there's a role and there's a space for every single one of us. And what was interesting is this. I know that when it comes to money, a lot of spaces where I talk about money, there aren't too many women, there aren't too many women of color in there. If you look at the in-physician communities when it comes to personal finance, no, we're in the minority. And there are things that I show up to because I remember myself from six years ago when I knew nothing about money, scouting a room looking for someone that looked even slightly like me and I couldn't find them. So a lot of times I show up in the money spaces for her because I know that she's, you know, she's looking to make sure that she belongs here. She's looking to say, is money even possible for someone like me that maybe is a parent, maybe is, you know, knew nothing about money just less than a decade ago, maybe is, uh, you know, has human brains, human personality, human flaws. And I show up for her in the money space, but I forgot to show up for her in my business and in the entrepreneurial way. So that's the story. Yeah. So when you confessed and you told the room that you had not applied for the award, I, I mean, what I experienced, because I was sitting on the other side of the room and I was sitting behind a large group of black women who just 
freaked out. I mean, I don't even know if that's the right <laughs> word, right? But they're, I mean, their jaws dropped they, and they just, I just, what, one person, I don't remember who it was. She just said, we needed you. And it just struck me. Like, it just struck me in the gut. Cause I was just thinking like, oh my God, like this is why representation matters. I think that you experienced that in that moment as well. Am I correct in that? Absolutely. And that's why, I mean, I don't know if it was more of a confession or more of an apology, right? Okay. And not in a negative way, because I know women are more likely to apologize. It was just something that I felt like I wanted to do because I forgot about her. I forgot mm-hmm. about them, right? And it's not bad, right? If you, you can't no. sitting down and regret is of no purpose. I focused on what I knew and now it just happens to be the next stage in my own evolution. And I think for those that are listening as well, just remember that like she is watching. She's looking for you. She's looking for a normal person having conversations about their struggles with food and their struggles with whatever it is they're struggling with. Like we all are struggling with something. And the more of us embrace our imperfection and our humanism and share from that space the wins, the losses, we just have a healthier community we have a healthier world really where we all know that we're not perfect and we're not shooting for perfect but every single day we're waking up and doing a better job and that's all we can do that's so beautiful thank you for sharing that the room was so inspiring because as everybody shared like when I walked into the room I thought I don't belong here I'm not Mexican enough they're going to kick me out of the room. They're just going to think I'm some white lady that walked into the room. They're going to say, you don't belong here. And there were a few people that shared similar sentiment. And then there were even people who, you know, maybe they were fully Southeast Asian, but they grew up in the United States. They had similar feelings. I'm not Indian enough, you know, and it was just, I don't even, I don't even know what the word was, but I, I just felt so like a sense of belonging in that moment. And I could feel that everybody in that room got to experience that together and how we don't need to listen to that voice that says you're not enough or you don't belong here. Yes. And I think it's really, really important to talk about that in the context of perfectionism, right? Who gets to define what that is? And I think I'm not enough and I am enough mm-hmm. and I am enough right? I'm not enough and I am enough, right? And I'm making that end and that last part because sometimes there's room to fight our brains and there's sometimes when there's just room to like hack our brains, right? So it's like, I'm not enough. Make that in small letters. (laughs) And I am enough. Y'all are not seeing my arms right now. It's like flaring (laughs) in the room, like in all the caps ever. You know the caps you hate when people type like this, screaming at you? That is what I want you to have in mind when you think about the second part of, and I am, I am more enough than not enough. Mm -hmm. Right? Because there are times when your brain is like, oh, you cannot start to tell me that we are enough because all that. Like, okay, acknowledge it, but make it into the smallest, I don't know, two, is it two equal size? Whatever. (laughs) Size two font, yes. (laughs) Size two font. And make the I am enough like a 30. Over time, that small size two font gets smaller and smaller without you necessarily needing to fight your brain every single time. I love that because it is important. I think a lot of us just think like, how do I go from hating my body to loving my body, right? And it's like, well, you don't just jump from one to the other. They can both start to be true at the same time, 
which I think the way that you explain that with the font is such an amazing metaphor for that. I do want to put you on the spot with a question just based off what we've been talking about and observing versus hiding. So one thing my husband sometimes says is security lies in obscurity, right? Like we can be, we know we can be safe when we're a little obscure and maybe we're hiding. So what do you think the difference is living in that observing space versus a hiding space? How can I know what's the difference and when when do I show up, right? Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of self-kindness and self-compassion right because when we don't pick when we don't choose self-kindness and self-compassion we achieve the exact opposite of what we're trying to accomplish right when you hate yourself when you think you suck you're more likely to like just think everything looks like crap you're like even you that you thought you were beautiful five seconds ago you're like i can never my fist just always in the wrong direction right my nose always points to the north and not the south you know like it changed yesterday but the thing is this it's self-kindness and self-compassion for where you're at and i love that you said you don't have to go from a zero to a hundred in one day because i truly think that when it comes to a lot of things they actually three levels to it. There is where you're starting from. There is a level of good and then there's a level of badassery, right? So the level of good may be the place where you're like, you know what? I need something to feel secure. I need to stay hidden to be secure. And if you were starting from a place of insecurity, that is a huge win. You even having the security, it's like a kid with a binky or whatever they call them. You're like, I don't want my kids dependent on some like freaking stuffed animal that's going to fall down on the ground and they're going to cry for like 10 hours, right? But there are this times... Is literally, we're exactly where I'm at with my toddler right now. So keep going. <laughs> right? But the thing is, sometimes it's okay, right? Especially if you're coming from a place of insecurity, this place of... Maybe it's I'm hiding, but I am secure. We're going to celebrate the crap out of you being there. And I want you to enjoy it and celebrate yourself because you've done great by being here. And then when you're done celebrating, when you've expanded and sort of like settled into, okay, this is good. And then the next step is that badassery. What you now get to a place of security that is no matter what. I'm secure whether I'm alone. I'm secure whether I'm in a crowd of 5 million people. I'm secure even when there's no internet. I'm secure no matter what. And that is where everybody needs to be in terms of badassery. It's the same when it comes to money. If you're someone that you're starting at a place where you're like, money is a problem. I don't have anything. I'm not making money at all, right? I want you to get to a place where you're like, okay, I have money. I can take care of my bills. I can invest. I feel secure in knowing that I have that money. And then the next level is a badassery where you're like, I don't care if I don't have a, I could lose everything and I'm still good because I know exactly how to create it again. Right. So it's sort of like those three levels and we get to celebrate what we get to celebrate every way. Even when you first started, where you're feeling insecure, the fact that you have that awareness is worth celebrating. And if you haven't noticed, I like to celebrate a lot. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's we talk a lot about failure in the coaching world and, you know, needing to be good at failing. But I feel like, you know, that can also be celebrating. Absolutely. I mean, celebrating. I need to do a podcast on this because celebrating is the most understated thing we don't do. If you've also noticed, I don't like wasting my energy fighting my brain. 
because I believe that I'd have other things to do. Like I can spend that energy in so many other ways, relaxing, hanging out with my kids, figuring out a vacation, coaching someone, doing amazing stuff with it. So if you're finding that it's not congruent, it doesn't feel like it's working to fight, just let it go. Just let it be, right? And the reason why I say that is when it comes to celebrating, a lot of times we think about the light at the end of the tunnel. When I this, then I will that. But when you choose to celebrate, not just in a cognitive way, but celebrating and feeling the celebration, that thing you're waiting for at the end of the tunnel, you're bringing it to now. And the more you do that, the more you're going to realize that life is just already enjoyable and everything else you're working on is bonus because you're already enjoying, you're already celebrating. Like I made $5 hallelujah, let's dance to that, right? You know, that kind of stuff. Like, let's enjoy. I'm working on my body image and loving myself. Guess what? I haven't hated myself today. We're going to have a party. The more you do that, and a party could be just you, like I do in my car. Yeah. Doing crazy stuff. Singing to a song, right? Just dancing. Yeah. Yeah. If you saw the crazy woman yesterday dancing like crazy at the stoplight, it was not me. (laughs) (laughs) You live in Sacramento. (laughs) So, yes. That's, well, that's I love that because I think, you know, since we're in this food and, you know, health space, a lot of times people conflate celebration with eating sugar. Right? So it's good to recognize that celebration is not always eating and drinking. It can be it can look like so many different things. Right. So and then also like not celebrating until you hit this big end goal is hiding in a way, right? We're denying ourselves current pleasure and hiding from experiencing life on the day-to-day. And it's like torture, really. Because you need that daily or very regular recognition of forward progress of any kind, that celebration, because that is the emotions that your brain attaches to that what you're doing is right. And if you don't do that, then your brain has no incentive to keep the habit going. And so if you just are kind of like only focused on the end and that's when you get to celebrate, the likelihood that you will actually reach that goal is starts to diminish because you have to be happy or find moments of celebration along the way in order to keep going. Because you'll have some downs, but you need the ups to have your brain to be motivated to keep going. Absolutely. And if you're now falling off and you never celebrated, now you're going to wake up at the age of 90 and realize that you never achieved what you were trying to achieve. And now you're just going to live with regret. And like we just talked about, it's about you, but it's also about the unconscious lessons we're planting in other people, right? In your niece, your nephew, your neighbor, the kids you teach, right? Your children, what lessons, right? Because the unconscious is actually more powerful than the conscious. The conscious is easy to like throw away, but the unconscious is literally a, like a seed that grows into a tree in the backyard, in the background. So it's about you, just like it was about me, but it's also not about you, just like it was not about me. So <laughs> get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Get it together. I do. I have another quick question just because it was something that you mentioned, like seeing Erica, the CEO of the school and her kids dancing. I think one of the thoughts you had shared was that she had presented her children in the workplace 
and that, you know, she had kind of normalized that for you. So like, I'm just curious, what is that for you? Like, because it sounds like you have children. How many kids do you have? I have three little ladies. Oh my goodness. How old are they? They are nine, seven, and four. And you can add a one in front of all those numbers. <laughs> that's what I feel like. <laughs> Beth has a teenager. So yes, she yes. understands. Do you feel like you have, in a way, like hidden your identity as a mother in your work as a doctor? As a doctor, partially partially and the reason why is unfortunately there's a lot of unrealistic expectations of physicians yeah right remember that we are humans people don't remember that in the middle of the pandemic we also got sick our kids are not going to school we have kids that are getting sick we're losing family members and all that as well right so and unfortunately during the pandemic a lot of nannies, a lot of daycares shut down. A lot of nannies, especially if they're older, looked at their physician employer or whatever you want to call us and said, you are my biggest exposure. I'm out. You are my biggest exposure to COVID. I can't work with you. So literally we have physicians whose childcare dumped them. They've been exposed to the pandemic every day and people are out there in the world screaming that vaccinations are not real and they still need their doctors and our kids are at home not in school, and we're trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do with our lives. So I think sometimes people forget that we are human with the same stuff that they're also going through, including losses in our lives as well. And we're trying to be there for everybody in our lives. We try to be there for you. And sometimes we forget to be there for ourselves. So a lot of my patients know that I my, being a mom is part of my identity. It's one, my, one of my and, right? It's part of my identity. So my patients know. I've talked to them. My patients, my patients love my kids. They don't know them, but they love them since I was pregnant with them and they ask me about them and I truly love what I do because I have some of the most amazing patients that I that I deal with and so in that conscious way people accept that I'm a mom but when people need things even though it may not be urgent but because we live in a culture of instant everything and they don't have that because Maybe my kid was sick with COVID and I need to be there. Maybe my dad is dying of pancreatic cancer in the hospital and I need to be there. And people get upset that their non-urgent needs are not being met urgently. So that's the part where what we consciously say and what we're consciously doing may not necessarily meet. So when you ask me if I have to hide, being a mom in medicine, it's both of those. It's not hiding, but a lot of times people forget and have expectations of you. Like you should have nothing else but them. So that's that part of things. But the reason why, and I actually, when it comes to money, we are very intentional about involving our kids because I truly believe that when we talk about generational wealth, it's not just about passing cash to your kids. It's about passing habits, changing their thoughts about money. Money is a tool for good. Money is neutral. It's not good or bad. So I want us to normalize having those conversations on dinner tables across America with our kids, how to spend in a way that's value-based. So integrating my kids and money is not something strange to me at all. But when you look at the life coach industry, the way it was before, it used to be presented as being really sterile, very sterile, the background has to be white. I happen to have a back white background because <laughs> that's what I mean, right? But it has just like maybe flower in the corner, like you know. So there, there is. It's like it has to be perfect. You cannot be driving. I want your full attention on me, and I don't. Let's keep all the distractions away. And so for her, bringing her kids there 
it was just another reminder that it's end. And we don't realize the unconscious messages we're passing on to people that when your kids are around, it's an inconvenience to your business because it stops the sterile environment that you're supposed to have. So normalizing the fact that now I've always been okay with when I have a you know money for women physicians with coaching and people's kids crash the camera because they're pulling their mother's eyebrow again. <laughs> that is okay. You can make money and have your eyebrows pulled to the side by your kid, right? That's like, mommy, but I want that, I don't know, Captain Crunch crap <laughs> now, right? Whatever it is. So I want us to normalize imperfection. And for me, that was a message that I got from her kids being in there. It wasn't just I'm proud to be a mom, but I get to show my kids normal because these kids are now going to grow up knowing that their mom is a CEO of a you know, eight-figure or nine-figure business. So it's those unconscious stuff and the impact that always blows my mind every single day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'm a new mom. You know, my child is only 19 months and we just started a new daycare and it's been very inconsistent. And there's days where like he gets sent home because he's inconsolable or there's a COVID, you know, scare or whatever. And it's just like, I internalize that from that kind of pre-child perspective where it's like, how am I ever going to get anything done? Like my, I'm letting my clients down if I have to cancel on them or move an appointment. Like it just feels so bad to me. But then a part of me has to be like, this is also just life and it's also okay. Right? Exactly. You are going to serve a lot of people no matter what. You're going to serve and help people no matter what. And when your kid actually crashes your interview and crashes your coaching session and you think it's inconvenient, you may be surprised that the most impactful thing you've ever done is let the other person on the other side know that their lives don't have to be perfect for you to be impactful. So we're going to make a lot of difference no matter what. And I don't, I mean, if I'm here, I don't want my kids here. I don't because I'm like, <laughs> I got to do this child. You know, they're like, mommy, what's going on? Is that your friend? Right. All that stuff. I don't want that. But if that happens, some, I just, there is a trust and a belief that we all need to start embracing of the most impact we make is in the way we never intended. And that helps us settle this need for perfectionism in this path that we have planned of how things are going to look. Because when things don't look how I plan it to be, it may be the most powerful thing that could ever happen to my life. So I'm just writing that down because it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> the most impact we make is in the way we never intended. I mean, we never know. May we never know the extent of our impact. That's my prayer for myself. Because when we know the extent of our impact, it has not even started. But I want to go to my grave at a very old age, God willing, not even knowing close to the extent of the impact of the generations of humans that have impacted. And that's my prayer for every single one of us. Thank you so much. I think we'll just have to end here because it's so good. <laughs> I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy physician podcast and coaching schedule to share your story with us and bestow so much wisdom with our audience. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for following the weirdness and doing the crazy stuff of stalking those random women I've never met before. <laughs> here we are. Before we let you go, can you let us know where our audience can find you out in the world? 
Absolutely. You can find me any and everywhere except LinkedIn. I'm not on LinkedIn, but you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, MoneyFitMD, F-I-T, like fitness. So MoneyFitMD. And I also have a podcast. It's called the MoneyFitMD podcast where I talk about all things money and mindset and helping women physicians build wealth from the inside out. A lot of my audience are not women and a lot of my audience are not physicians. So <laughs> I believe that I I understand money in a way that's simple. And my goal is to help more people have money. So if that's you, go listen. Mm, I love it. I can't wait. I'm going to start listening. I know. <laughs> we keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in, which is why we are shining a light on it and sharing it with you. So as you know, in each week we um, talk about some crazy ad that we see or something we we see out in the world that perpetuates diet culture. And this week, Jessica and I actually did not have anything to post. So I had paused our recording with our guest and had asked her, oh, hey, we do this segment about diet culture. You're in Sacramento. So I think about California as having way more um, potentially crazy um, health ads or whatnot, if she has seen anything lately. And um, she started she said, no, I don't pay attention to that. And so we're going to kind of pick up because her answer started to become really amazing. So I, uh, you'll kind of pick up where she, at the very beginning of her explaining how she doesn't pay attention to it and what she does. And so we have like a brief little talk about that. So here you go. No, I haven't seen any conscious ads that are directed towards me, but I also don't pay attention. Okay. I like to, I do intermittent fasting most days. I, I control my carbs. I actually made a decision at the beginning of the pandemic Mm -hmm. to not weigh myself because Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to be well. And sometimes me being well is like just eating whatever the crap I want. (laughs) But I said, you have to have love and you have to have boundaries. And my boundary is I have to fit in my clothes. I have mm. to fit in my clothes. I'm not allowed to upsize my clothes. So if it starts to feel snug, reel it in, reel it in. So I do intermittent fasting most days during the week. But um, I mean, to I was thinking about this, you know, the other day about what intermittent fasting kind of really is, is one, it's listening to hunger cues. So because a lot of us have gotten under and, you know, coming from traditional dietetics, training, you know, breakfast is the most important meal, da, 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 da. But we don't talk a lot about hunger and traditional dietetics world. And so it is one, it's listening to your own intuition about when you're hungry or you're not hungry. And you get to decide when you break your fast. I really struggle with it. it has to be at 10 or at 11 or noon or whatever. But, you know, if you're hungry, you're hungry. And then if we think about our calorie increase that we have had has only really been about, you know, two, 300 calories extra over the last 20 years. But our obesity is, you know, exponential beyond what that two or 300 calories is. Intermittent fasting is literally just a way to take back those two or 300 calories that we weren't getting by listening to our hunger. Yeah. And the time of the actual fasting. So yeah. that your body actually breaks down and use what it has. Right. Right. Without needing to store it. It's, I mean, it's, I'm not crazy. It's just easy. Yeah. It's easy to implement. It's easy to not have 
cream in my coffee most days, unless I don't get sleep, then I want milk in my coffee. Um, but what I think it's been helpful for is my one of my kids, my middle one, mm-hmm. she's not a breakfast person. Mm-hmm. We were tortured to eat breakfast. Right. If I didn't have this knowledge, I would be torturing her to eat breakfast. In fact, we had a nanny who was an older African lady that was, I mean, when you eat, it makes them happy. So when you yeah. don't eat, it's like they're not doing their job. <laughs> so for her, it was like daily sadness about the child that she had to force to eat breakfast. And my daughter would be sad. She's like, I don't, I'm not hungry. So I just said, you know, once I started getting the knowledge and information, I just said, you know what? It's okay for her to not eat breakfast. It's okay. She'll eat lunch and she gets a snack at school anyway. And then one day I got called at school because she said she was having a headache. Because <laughs> like, oh, she wasn't getting, so, yeah, it was she like going eat. a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. She was, you know, so now I'm like, okay, here, extra, you get double the snacks in your bag. When you're hungry, just eat. But I think it's helped have a healthier teaching them to also have a healthier relationship with food where it's not something you have to do because you got storage in that lever. Let's get it to work. Yeah. No kidding. So. Got storage everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do too. Thank God for that. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you right, so much. It's been a pleasure. Nice to meet you both. And I'm sure I'll be seeing so you. So nice to meet you. I sure hope so. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. I do have a follow-up question for you because I feel like people are going to listen to it and those breakfast avoiders are going to say, oh, (laughs) so I don't have to eat breakfast. So my follow-up question for you, Beth, is how do people really know if they're just not a breakfast person and they need to always honor their hunger or are they living in this blood sugar imbalance situation and maybe they do need to try to eat breakfast? Yeah. So if your your blood sugar is all over the place and you can kind of feel those highs and those lows. So the sometimes it's more of like kind of, it's almost like that reactive hypoglycemic feeling and so you when if you do not feel energetic your brain doesn't feel good um you're feeling kind of sluggish and so on and so forth or you feel like sort of a crash um that comes on um then you may not be regulated enough i know one of the proponents of intermittent fasting is, oh, if you have elevated blood sugar, this will help to get it down, which is true to some cases. But in other cases, there are people where their blood sugar is up and then it is down. And so their average blood glucose when they get tested actually looks normal. Um, so you're not going to catch those. And so what we're going to kind of ride on is, is that that's where what I like for people to do that have eating all over the place is you need to establish some kind of routine. And so if you don't like to eat breakfast, then, okay, let's try 11 o'clock. Yeah, I like to think of like, how are you breaking the fast, right? So if you feel like you have to go dive headfirst into coffee and pastries, right, then it's like, well, that's probably not helpful for you. Right, that's going to create that. And so then that is where it can yeah, if it feels like that's how you need to get going, like I am not opposed to getting going with just a cup of coffee in the morning. That is how I start. And then so I'll drink coffee like in the six o'clock hour and then I don't eat again until I'm hungry, which is anywhere from eight to 10 a.m. 
Uh-huh. But I'm hungry. And then and you're breaking your fast with something that's balanced, typically. Most of the time. Right. 90% of 99% of the time. So the key there too is that you're, you're feeling okay. So I don't know. Sometimes I just get clients that are like, I'm just not a breakfast person. That seems to be what's working for me. And I'm like, well, if that was what was working for you, I don't know that we would be here having this conversation right now. Right. And also people think breakfast is a certain type of food Mm -hmm. breakfast of it being cereal or oatmeal or pancakes or a muffin or eggs or any of that stuff is a hundred percent arbitrary go to any like other country europe breakfast is cold meats and cheese like that's so confusing to go to (laughs) after being you know growing up on the traditional idea of what breakfast is and being like oh and you get into the rhythm of it asia we i ate greens and soup and stuff when we went to china Mm. um like you know there are like breakfast in the united states has its thing. And so maybe you're not a breakfast food person and that's fine. And so shift what you think breakfast needs to be and should be. And that should help quite a bit. Thank you. I sure hope we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. If you are looking to work with us, please visit us at our website, pathnutrition.com to get started. Have an awesome day. Bye everyone. Have a great week.